This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. We'll do two parts on today's episode. In part one, we'll cover the latest news around Napoli. And in part two, we'll provide a review of how our players have done on international duty. So let's start with the news. A little while ago, we reported that seven people had been charged in the death of Diego Maradona. According to a report shared with Reuters, a medical board appointed to investigate the death of Maradona concluded that the Argentinian's medical team acted in a, quote, inappropriate, deficient, and reckless manner. According to Reuters, pre-trial hearings began on Monday, June 14th. An Argentine prosecutor began with questions to the nurse who, according to his own witness statement, was the last person to see Maradona alive. Maradona's doctor, psychologist, neurosurgeon, physician, and others either have already or will be questioned as well. The psychologist, Carlos Diaz, spoke to the media after his hearing on Thursday. He said, I was in close contact with many of the family members and at no point was there any kind of manipulation. All this was explained in the prosecution with a scientific basis because so far many things have been said which have come out in the media, but all of the decisions I make have a scientific basis and that was explained and well received by the prosecutors. He added, my work as a psychologist specializing in recovery from addictions played no role in Diego's death, a death that everyone regrets, but there was never any criminal plan to kill him, as has been said, no doctor studies to kill a patient, quite the opposite. 
We tried from day one to help him get out of the addictions he was afflicted with. Diego's death was due to his clinical picture, which has nothing to do with the psychological aspect. Diego's death surprised everyone. Unfortunately, it came this way. Let us remember that there are several laws that enable a patient to recover from mental disorders without being hospitalized. If found guilty, all seven could face between 8 and 25 years in prison. On a more positive note, former Juventus champion Michel Platini spoke about Maradona on a recent appearance on Road TV Italia. He told an anecdote about their time together in Italy. He said he was having family problems and after their match in Napoli, Maradona told Platini to call him that night if he needed to. Platini said Maradona consoled him and reassured him, but that's not all he did. Maradona told Platini that he booked a hotel in Torino on the Wednesday of that week, which Maradona did just so he could check in on how Platini was doing. Platini concluded that it was a gesture that made him feel even smaller next to the best footballer in the world. In other news, on Wednesday, a Juventus shirt appeared on the statue of Garibaldi in the Piazza Mancini in Napoli. It also donned a sign that read, Garibaldi is Juventino. For those who don't know the history, Garibaldi is known for uniting Italy. Many people in the south think that was an error and that the Kingdom of Two Sicilies, which was Napoli, Sicily, and everything in between, was doing just fine before Garibaldi showed up. So this was a very funny way to express that sentiment. And thank you, Anna, for sharing that story. A few of our players were in the news as well. Let's start with Kaladu Koulibaly, who's always been a legend but continues to cement that legacy. Napoli's number one defender is back home in his home country of Senegal. On his return, he brought with him a shipment of medical supplies from Napoli, including two ambulances. Meanwhile, Victor Osman has returned to his hometown of Lagos, Nigeria for a short holiday. He received a warm welcome and immediately signed a poster of himself. He was photographed playing football on a local pitch wearing a pretty impressive outfit. He wore his blue Napoli shirt with white Nigeria shorts. We know how proud he is of his roots, so to combine the Napoli shirt with the Nigeria shorts, I think, is a sign of his great affection for Napoli. I'll close the news with some interviews from Euro 2020, starting with former Napoli great Matic Hamsik. He was interviewed by Spanish media outlet Diario AS ahead of Slovakia's match against Spain, where he spent a good portion of the interview speaking about Napoli. When he was asked who his favorite player on the Spanish national team is, he responded that he tends to look to his own position. He said he has always liked Thiago and that he had a chance to play with Fabian. He said Fabian is a great talent and an enormous footballer. He added that Fabian made a great decision to go to Napoli because it's a great club, and there he was able to play in the Champions League. He has grown a lot and could play quietly in any of the big clubs he's linked to, but Hamsik hopes he stays at Napoli to do great things there. When he was asked which teams have impressed him the most at the Euros, he said without a doubt it's Italy. He said his friend Insigne had an incredible season and that Insigne is a natural talent. He also said that he told Insigne that with him, the number 10 of the Azzurri is in good hands. Hamsik was also asked, as the first person to break Maradona's goal record, how he took the passing of Maradona. I tweeted a graphic of Hamsik's response to that question because I thought it was really special. He said, They know I feel half Napolitano. It was very hard in truth losing an idol, a footballer, and a man like him. It meant a lot to us. And I love that he said it meant a lot to us. He includes himself among the Napolitani people. 
Next, he was asked if he misses Napoli. Hamsik responded that it's been too long since he's been there. He wants to see the city and his friends again. He was also asked about the rumors of a possible return to Napoli. Hamsik responded that he doesn't think there was that opportunity. He said that Napoli looks to the future and he chose before the Euros to sign with Trasbonspor. Finally, he was asked about Napoli's unexpected draw to Verona to end the season, which cost us Champions League qualification. Hamsik said he didn't expect it at all. He said Napoli had a fantastic final stretch of the season. They won every game except for the most important one. Missing the Champions League in a way did a lot of damage. He said he doesn't know what happened, but they didn't play the way they played in previous matches, and that it was a shame. Speaking of shameful, this interview means that Matic Hamsik has spoken about that match before any current member of Napoli, and this interview was a month after the match. Giovanni Di Lorenzo was also interviewed ahead of Italy's match against Austria. He said five years ago he found himself without a team, but he made sacrifices and never gave up. Now he's enjoying this experience and will give it his all as he always has. He said he was hoping for the call-up, which until a few years ago was a distant dream. He added that his strength has always been to believe in himself, even in difficult times. He said this is not a point of arrival but rather a starting point. It's difficult to make the national team and even more difficult to maintain that level. It's up to himself to continue to do well with his club so he can continue to be called up to the national team. When he was asked if he was nervous he said no because it's a football match and now the fun begins. Finally Lorenzo Insigne was interviewed at Coverciano as well. He covered a number of topics. He's excited both about the youth in the squad and about the fact that even though he's older, it's the first time that he's a starter. He praised Jorginho, who he said deserves to be on the list for Ballon d'Or. I think that's a bit of a stretch if I'm being honest. He added that they call him the professor and they're very happy to have him. He talked about wearing the number 10 and learning from Mancini, who himself was a great player. He also praised the quality and intensity of the Italian midfield. When asked about Gennaro Gattuso, he said they've exchanged messages and that Gattuso said there's been a bit of difficulty, but he also said that he's been focused on the Euros. On his career, he said he's always dreamed of one, playing for Napoli, and two, wearing the captain's armband, so both of his dreams have come true. He's beyond happy. He's overjoyed. With respect to his future at Napoli, he reiterated that he's focused on the Euros and said that there will be time to talk to Napoli afterwards. Finally, when asked about not having played against bigger nations, he said they play who they draw. He added they play their football and they prepare one match at a time. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll review how our players have played in international competitions since the start of June. Go Part 2 will check in on how our players are doing on international duty. 
I'm going to focus mostly on Euro 2020 where we had 8 players competing in the group stage, and then I'll quickly touch on players competing in other competitions. So let's start with the Italian national team where we had 3 Napoli players in the squad, Alex Meret, Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and Lorenzo Insigne. There's nothing really to say about Meret as he didn't feature in any of our group stage matches, nor did we expect him to as our third keeper. I do feel bad for him though because Meret was the only player on the 26-man squad that didn't feature in the group stage. Now, I'm sure if Mancini had the opportunity to play Meret, he would have. Perhaps he was thinking Meret is young, so he has plenty of time, whereas Sirigu is 34, so this could well be his final major tournament. That said, Donnarumma is actually two years younger than Meret, so barring a Donnarumma injury, Meret will always be a backup. Who knows though, maybe if we have a decent lead against Austria, we'll see Mancini give Meret a few minutes like he did with Sirigu, so every player on the squad can say that they made an appearance. Speaking of surprise appearances, Giovanni Di Lorenzo made two appearances at right back in the group stage. That's because Alessandro Florenzi injured his right calf against Turkey. Di Lorenzo came on after the break and completely changed the complexion of that match. It was nice to see Di Lorenzo play as more of a traditional right back. At Napoli, we're used to seeing him sprinting up and down the right wing like a wing back does, and he's very good at it, but on this team, he has less of an offensive responsibility. You generally don't want both fullbacks getting forward because that would expose your center backs on the counterattack. It's quite clear that Spinazzola has been given the freedom to get forward on the left side, which means the right back has to hang back. That effectively leaves you with a three-man back line, and Di Lorenzo is the perfect player for that role because as we know, he has played as a center back on occasion. With the way he played against Turkey, I was expecting Di Lorenzo to start against Switzerland even before discovering that Florenzi was injured because he was that good. He did start against Switzerland, in fact he played the full 90 minutes and he was very good in that match as well. Again, our backline wasn't terribly busy but they were certainly busier in that game than they were in the Turkey match. I thought Di Lorenzo made a couple of important recoveries in the first half. He looked very comfortable playing out of the back which is a direct consequence of the way that Napoli play. We all complain at Napoli about playing out of the back, at least in certain circumstances. When you're playing with all quality teammates and when you're playing against weaker opposition, it makes a lot of sense to do. I'll be curious to see if Mancini continues with that approach when we play against stronger opposition that collectively press higher up the pitch. I also noticed that Di Lorenzo was often looking for the long ball on the ground to Chiro Immobile, so that must be something they've practiced on the training ground. Our strikers do drop to retrieve the ball with their backs to the goal and link up with their midfielders and wingers. It wasn't a perfect game for Di Lorenzo though, he did lose his man on Switzerland's one clear-cut chance of the match. He joined Bonucci to double up on Gavranovic at the edge of the area, which left Steven Zuber wide open on the left side of the area. Di Lorenzo tried to recover, but he wasn't able to get there before Zuber fired on target. Fortunately, Donnarumma was sharp and made the save despite having almost no action at all in the first two matches. The final Napoli player with Italy is Lorenzo Insigne. This is probably not going to be a popular opinion amongst Napoli fans, but I don't think Insigne played particularly well in the group stage. He played 81 minutes against Turkey and 69 minutes against Switzerland. Of that time, I thought he only played really well in the second half of the Turkey match. In the first half, I thought he looked a little bit nervous and he was forcing his passes a little bit. It was almost as if he was trying too hard. Granted, Turkey set up to defend and that made it really difficult to break through. That said, Insigne did break through and had a glorious chance from exactly that type of area he likes to shoot from, but he completely missed the target. Normally, Insigne tucks that shot inside the far post 
as he did in the second half, but he mishit his first attempt, the ball had no bend, and it ended up wide of the mark. As I said, he was much better in the second half, and I think that Turkey own goal helped to settle him down a little bit. That own goal opened up the pitch, with Turkey having to get forward to seek out an equalizer. That helped Insigne, who excels playing into space. Even though it was the third goal, it was great to see Insigne get one, just as it was great to see Immobile get one. It was also great to see Immobile get the assist on Insigne's goal as well. We also saw in that first game that Insigne and Spinazzola have developed an excellent partnership together. Spinazzola's runs allow Insigne to drift more centrally and be more of a playmaker. We saw that in the Switzerland game as well, though neither of them were quite as involved in that match as they were in the Turkey game. I think that was largely because we attacked a lot more on the right wing in the Switzerland match, so naturally Insigne and Spinazzola were less involved. He still took most of the set pieces, so even though Insigne is not having his best day, he still finds a way to contribute. I thought Insigne's passing in this match was a bit substandard, though I do hold him to rather high standards. He made a couple of dangerous switches that we were fortunate to get away with. Finally, just like Di Lorenzo, Insigne was partly to blame on Switzerland's one chance of the match. He was the one who conceded possession, which then started the Switzerland attack. So those were the Italian players. Next, let's move on to Belgium, where Dries Mertens is representing the Red Devils. First of all, let me just say that whenever I see Mertens playing on the wing, which is where he plays in this team, it reminds me of his early days at Napoli before Sadi converted him to a false 9. He's good there, but not great. He's not the focal point, that's obviously Romelu Lukaku. With the form Lukaku is in, which has carried over from Inter to Belgium, it's hard for too many others to stand out. Against Russia, Thomas Mounier stood out after coming on for Timothy Castagna. I thought Mounier played really well, and against Denmark, Kevin De Bruyne stood out after replacing Mertens. Nonetheless, I thought Mertens had a good game against Russia. I don't want to sound like I'm making more of his performance than it was, but he did play the ball to Lukaku on the first goal, even if the defending was terrible on that goal. Then he made the incisive run on the second goal. Hazard was trying to pick out Mertens with the ball that he played. Once again, the defending was terrible. In this case, by goalkeeper Anton Schunen, he parried the ball straight to Munier. But I thought Mertens was making the right decisions, he was making the plays you would expect from an experienced veteran, and ultimately he played his role in Belgium getting the three points. Mertens was far less involved in Belgium's come-from-behind win over Denmark. That was Denmark's first match after the Christian Eriksen incident, and they were beyond motivated to get a result. Denmark absolutely dominated the first half, it was really quite remarkable. Belgium didn't seem to know what hit them, they couldn't seem to keep hold of the ball which meant they couldn't generate anything in the attack, so naturally Mertens didn't do a whole lot. If anything, his contribution in that match was more on the defensive end, trying to prevent Denmark from adding a second goal. Mertens was replaced by De Bruyne at the break, which was a wise move by Roberto Martinez. De Bruyne completely changed the complexion of that match. He assisted on the tying goal early in the second half and was a big reason for Belgium turning that game around. Like Italy, Belgium clinched their place in the knockout phase after only two matches, so Mertens did not play in Belgium's final group stage match, which was a 2-0 win over Finland. If Italy beat Austria, and if Belgium win their round of 16 match against Portugal, which is no easy task, Mertens would clash against his Napoli teammates in the quarterfinal meeting with Italy. Next, let's move on to Poland, where Piotr Zielinski played all but 5 minutes of the group stage. On paper, Zielinski lined up as a left winger, but in actuality, he played as a number 10. 
He played 85 minutes in Poland's opening match against Slovakia. I thought he was decent in this match, but he didn't stand out. Slovakia were clearly focused on defending, which made it difficult for Poland to get through, though they did take quite a few shots. Zielinski himself took three shots. However, it only became more difficult for Poland's attacking players when Krzyczowiak picked up a second yellow in the 62nd minute. We saw much of the same from Zielinski in Poland's second match of the group stage, which was against Spain. Zielinski played the full match, but didn't contribute a whole lot in the attack, largely because Spain had most of the ball. As I said, even though he lines up as a winger, he played mostly as a 10 and dropped quite deep in this match. Spain had most of the ball, so Zielinski spent a lot of time defending. We know from his time at Napoli that sometimes he can take over a match and other times he can be invisible. He certainly didn't have as much of an impact on this one, but he has the quality to score even when he's not on. He didn't score in this match, in fact he didn't score at all in the group stage, which is probably why we won't think of this as a great performance. Zielinski's best match was Poland's final match of the group stage and what turned out to be their final match of the tournament against Sweden. Zielinski was very involved in the attack and came close to scoring on a few occasions. On either side of the half, he had long-range efforts stopped by Robin Olsen. Both were hit with quite a bit of fury, but both caught too much of the goal and you would expect Olsen to make those saves. He had another dangerous chance early in the second half, but Viktor Lindelof made an important block. Zielinski was doing a great job of getting in between the lines, which was then creating the space for those shots. He also assisted on Lewandowski's first goal with a gorgeous long ball to the Bayern Munich striker. The pass didn't get a whole lot of attention because of the quality of the finish, but the pass was really excellent as well. It also showed Zielinski's awareness to see that run and play that pass right away. In the end, this was a very disappointing tournament for Poland, picking up only one point in the group stage and heading home after that. The final three Napoli players to compete in the Euros were Eli Felmas, Fabian Ruiz, and Stanislav Lobotka. I don't have a whole lot to say about any of them. Elmas was the only Napoli player to play every minute of the group stage. Unfortunately, all three of those matches resulted in losses. Elmas seems like a completely different player when he represents his country. He has a ton of energy, which is true when he plays both for club and country, but I find that he plays with a lot more confidence for North Macedonia. I think that could be because he knows that he's one of the best players on the team. Unfortunately, that's also the reason why he wasn't terribly involved. North Macedonia simply lacked the quality that is needed to compete at this level. The players behind Elmas aren't able to get him the ball enough. When he does get the ball, the combination of Elmas's confidence and technical ability make him an absolute joy to watch. I'm very curious to see if and how Luciano Spalletti will use Elmas. It seems to me his most natural positions are either in the number 10 or on the left wing, but obviously those positions are reserved for Zielinski and Insigne. And you do have to wonder how long Elmas will accept the role of backup. Surely he'll want to feature in the starting 11, if not at Napoli, then perhaps somewhere else. The last thing I'll say about North Macedonia is the first goal that they scored in this competition was fittingly scored by ex-Napoli player Goran Pandev. Moving on, Fabian Ruiz is with Spain. I don't have a lot to say about him because he's barely played. He played only 3 minutes against Sweden and 22 minutes against Poland. He didn't feature against Slovakia at all. With such a big lead, Luis Enrique used the time to give other players an opportunity to play, so Fabian played only 25 minutes plus stoppage time in the group stage, which really isn't enough of a sample size to assess his play. The highlight for most Napoli fans was surely when he came off the bench against Poland and shared a moment with Zielinski. 
For those who didn't see it, Fabian gave Zielinski a little tap to say hello when he got on the pitch. When Zielinski turned around and saw that it was Fabian, he ran over and gave him a quick embrace before play resumed. Finally, we have Stanislav Lobotka. He didn't feature in Slovakia's first two matches against Poland and Sweden, respectively. He did play in the second half against Spain, which I have to admit I thought was a bizarre change to make when you're down by two goals and need to score. Lobotka is definitely not a player that is going to get you goals. He came on down 2-0 and the match finished 5-0, though I wouldn't say that any of those three goals conceded in the second half were Lobotka's fault. Slovakia's defending in this match was really, really poor. That said, I wasn't particularly impressed with Lobotka's play either. Even though I've defended him probably more than anyone else, his play in this half was reminiscent of his play thus far with Napoli. He had a few decent moments on the ball, but he also had a few really bad moments. On two occasions, he took too many touches, dribbled towards his own goal, and conceded possession deep in Slovakia's end. On one of those occasions, he conceded possession in his own area, and nearly conceded a penalty. But my biggest concern with Lobotka is he's just not involved enough in the play for a central midfielder. Deep-lying playmakers typically get more touches than any other player on the team. They're the directors, they're supposed to be pulling the strings, but for some reason the ball seems to avoid him, which is odd because I do think he has good spatial awareness. Perhaps it's because he's slow, I don't know, but he definitely should be getting more touches in that position. So those were all of our players in the Euros. We have only one player competing in the Copa America, though he may not be a Napoli player for much longer. That's Davido Spina, who's expected to leave Napoli, with Luciano Spalletti supposedly preferring Alex Meret to be the starting goalkeeper. Ospina started in goal in all four of Colombia's group stage matches in the Copa America. He's now made 111 appearances for Colombia, which ties him with Colombian great Carlos Valderrama for most appearances for his country. In those four matches, Colombia picked up one win, one draw, and two losses. Ospina recorded two clean sheets in the process. Four points was enough to get Colombia into the knockout phase, which means Ospina will likely break Valderrama's record. Now, I haven't watched too much of the Copa America, but I did watch Colombia's match against Brazil, and that wasn't a particularly good performance from Ospina. Though Colombia led for most of the match, Ospina got beat about midway through the second half and was fortunate that Neymar hit the upright, shooting at the empty goal. Then he did really poorly on Brazil's equalizer with about 12 minutes to play. There was some controversy on this play because the ball initially came off the referee and he played the advantage. Ospina as club captain was absolutely furious. At one point he simply refused to return to his goal. Regardless of whether the goal should have been called off by VAR, Ospina really should have made that save. The shot was almost right at him and he just didn't get a strong enough hand on the ball. Had he not conceded that goal, Colombia could have gone on to win their first Copa America match against Brazil since 1975. Instead, Brazil scored the winner in the 10th minute of stoppage time, and the only reason there was so much stoppage time was because Ospina and his teammates complained for so long about this decision. The goal itself was not Ospina's fault though, Casemiro was left completely unmarked in front of the goal, and there was absolutely nothing Ospina could do there. Moving on, Chucky Lozano represented Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League finals. He played every minute of both the semifinal and the final. Mexico won their semifinal game against Costa Rica in a penalty shootout after neither team scored in regulation. Lozano converted Mexico's second shot in the shootout. 
He then played the entire 120 minutes of the final against USA. I thought he was very good in the final. Just before the break with the score tied 1-1, Lozano had a chance to put Mexico ahead. He was 1v1 with the keeper, but Zach Steffen made an excellent save. He made up for it in the second half though, assisting on Mexico's second goal, and then he nearly scored the winner in the final minute of normal time, but again he was foiled by Steffen. Unfortunately, Lozano did not walk away with the cup. USA scored from the spot in extra time. I'll close with some friendly matches that some of our players were invited to play in back at the beginning of June. Kaladu Kulibali played two international friendlies. He played 83 minutes in a 3-1 victory over Gambia, and he played 82 minutes in a 2-0 win over Cape Verde. Victor Osman did not play in Nigeria's two friendlies against Cameroon in early June, Colin Udo wrote an excellent piece for ESPN explaining why. He quoted an unnamed player source who alleged that the Nigerian Football Federation had not paid players bonuses for the African Cup of Nations qualifiers, so the players are not willing to risk injury for pointless friendlies. Nigeria's German coach Gernot Rohr confirmed that a number of Nigeria's star players have sent the federation attestations from their clubs confirming their injuries. Osman's attestation said he has pain in the meniscus in his knee, so he did not play. Finally, Amir Rachmani played in two of Kosovo's three friendly matches at the start of the month. The first was a 4-1 win over San Marino, and the second was a 2-1 win over Malta. Rachmani played the full 90 minutes in both of those matches, and he wore the captain's armband in the Malta match. He was not in the squad for their third friendly match, which was against Guinea. So that will do it on our international update. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I should be back next week with another episode to cover the latest news and perhaps do a little bit of transfer talk. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes? Press two. 
We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.